Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and streaming online. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Paul Wontorek. Theater fans have known him for years as the editor-in-chief of Broadway.com, but more recently, he's been the live stream director of many of the digital readings, reunions, variety shows, and celebrations that so many theater people have turned to during the current coronavirus lockdown. If you watched it, he likely had a hand in it. That includes Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday celebration, Rosie O'Donnell's return to the airwaves, the benefit reading of Lips Together, Teeth Apart, the MCC reading of Beirut with Oscar Isaac and Marissa Tomei, and Michael Urie's live-streamed performance of Buyer and Seller. Now Antorek is in the virtual studio with me to talk us through what he's learned about what works best, what doesn't, and what all this activity might tell us about how theater could evolve in the coming months. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So let's start off just talking briefly about what your uh, day job is. What What is Broadway.com and what do you do for them? Well, Broadway.com is, we just had our 20th anniversary. And I, a few months ago, had my 20th anniversary working there. Wow. We are a ticketing and content website. Um, it has become a big part of my identity in the theater community, a big chunk of my life. I never really thought I would be at one job that long, but I have been editor-in-chief of Broadway.com for 20 years. And it's more than just an editor-in-chief role, though, because we do a lot of things. So I'm also a reporter, a writer. I'm a producer of video content. I'm a director of video content. It's, it's a lot of things rolled in one, but my title is editor-in-chief. And what in your day job at Broadway.com overlaps with the kinds of things that you are doing now for all the theater live streams that so many of us have watched in isolation? Well, you know, creating content for the Broadway scene has a lot of different, you know, it can go in a lot of different directions. And even in the 20 years at my job, it has constantly evolved. And that's probably what I'm proudest of. Um, with my run at Broadway.com is that we we're always sort of adjusting what we do. And Beth Stevens has been the managing editor for 20 years, and we've been collaborators for that long. And we're always just trying to kind of challenge ourselves, reinvent the wheel, not um, sort of rest on what we are always do and just keep it interesting. That's probably why I'm able to stay the job so long is because there's flexibility to sort of keep it interesting. Um, so with the coronavirus and um, with, you know, the Broadway shutdown, it was just sort of an opportunity to figure out what that means for Broadway.com. Because what we normally do is cover what's playing on Broadway and off Broadway. That's our main goal. So we very quickly just kind of had to jump into a new world and figure out what that meant for us. And for me, it, it, pretty quickly turned into some of these special events and sort of reinventing maybe how people see us as a brand and see what is possible on the internet. And how did you get involved with the first one that you did? 
Well, it started with the Rosie O'Donnell Actors Fund right. benefit, which um, was Eric very Burr. soon after the shutdown. Right? It was just it, a it, like a week. You know, or I actually less. yeah. Before we started talking, I actually looked it up because I wanted to remind myself of when it was. And the Monday after, uh, so Broadway shut down on Thursday. The Monday after, I talked to Eric Bergen, right? Um, the actor Eric Bergen. Right. And now producer Who was also of, the of, producer of that. Yeah, exactly. So he had immediately reached out to Rosie O'Donnell. She immediately said, yes, he came to us and sort of said, what do you think? And I just jumped in and I knew nothing about doing live streaming. You know, we've had a live show at Broadway.com called live at five every day at 5 PM right. Eastern time. Uh, but I wasn't the one pushing the buttons and making it go live. Um, So it became very quickly just sort of like, well, how do we do this? So the actual show happened nine days after it was uh, 10 days after it was the Sunday, the weekend after the shutdown. So yeah, it came together really quickly. And And I I was the director of that. And I just kind of, honestly, when we went live, I kind of knew what I was doing. (laughs) We were all just sort of on the same page about let's just have fun. And obviously Rosie, was was the the personality behind it and and so it, it went off fantastically and what was the big what was the biggest learning curve for you what's most different about doing it live uh versus what you do say for instance on the live at five or the with the edited and recorded stuff that you do in for broadway.com well i'm kind of a one-man band i mean i'm up at my house in upstate New York. And I, it's just, luckily that sort of goes with my personality. I tend to just sort of like to dive into things, but I don't have the support team that I would normally have um, in terms of producers and video editors and um, tech people. So it, it really, it's just, it was just on me to sort of make sure that um things were running. And I, I don't know, it it wasn't much of a learning curve for me because I feel like I've just always sort of jumped headfirst into things. And uh, this, uh, it was, but it was new in the sense, it was almost like taking a step back, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we've all done. We've all sort of had to take a step back and, you know, actors, stars have now taken a step back in how they appear on camera. And we're so used to technology being, you know, not as slick and, people not looking styled and and camera work not looking the same. We've all gotten so used to this aesthetic because of the coronavirus. And so it was just sort of, it, it happened so quickly that all of a sudden everyone just wanted entertainment and they wanted to see their stars in their homes. And I feel like the Rosie show was really the first opportunity to see that. And we really got the visuals of Patti Lapone at home and all, which right. became iconic right. and, and all, and all of these great Broadway people. But, yeah, so it was sort of like, I, I think I knew that. So I knew that slickness wasn't what people were looking for. They were looking for a human connection. So I think it kind of took the pressure off a little bit. Although since then, with follow-up events, I've wanted to make them look and sound good and and d- deliver. You know, I think people now kind of want something a little slicker. Yeah, that actually leads into my next question, which was, in what ways are you shifting and improving? Tell us a little bit more about your efforts to make them slicker. Well, 
I, I come from a real design background, first of all. Um, I, I almost went to art school. Uh, you know, I was sort of debating between art and journalism or graphic design and journalism. So I, I come from that background. I have very talented uh, designers and illustrators that work with me. So I really wanted to, even with the Rosie O'Donnell show, I, we, we made like a really fun, uh, my designer animator ryan casey made this amazing opening credits sequence that looked like the original rosie show that rosie loved and right. i think we just we wanted to i like to give things a a visual uh style and a, and a visual sense so for me it's really important that things have sort of an extra layer of design um and so we were able to do that with the rosie o'donnell show and then i've been able to do that with everything since you know i i did this Lips Together, Teeth Apart reading um, of Terrence McNally's play. And and I was able to have my illustrator, Tug Rice, create these beautiful illustrations to sort of give a feeling of Fire Island, which was the setting of the play and the characters and sort of filling filling in the blanks a little bit that we're not getting with set design and with lighting and, and all of those things. But I've also, it's been important to me to figure out um, how to have off-screen stage directions read for a reading and to have music cues. And so the technology, I had to explore different technologies to find sort of a more sophisticated um, experience because I, I don't want people to get, I want people to get lost in the theatricality of it. And I feel like you can pull that off if you do it the right way. And I feel like um, with the effort of the actors who are obviously running their own cameras and and with their lighting and even with what they're wearing and how they're interacting with the camera and with using technology that allows you to not see everybody at the same time, like a Zoom call, everything. Zoom is not like the answer to everything. It's just sort of, it's sort of the baseline, but there are more sophisticated ways to do things and adding a design look to things and adding logos and artwork. And I don't know, I just, it's sort of a fun challenge to, to figure out how to bring theatricality to something that is innately not very theatrical. And how do you work? A lot of these events, uh, you work with a director of the actors and of the cast. How do you work with, how do how does your work with that director overlap with uh, what they are doing? So, like, um, "Lip Together to the Part" is a great example because Trip Coleman directed right. the actors, and he had some rehearsals with the actors. Not that many; these things, you know, tend to come together pretty quickly. But he had rehearsed with the actors. Then he and I sort of went off and went through the script and identified all of the camera work. So that was an interesting play because each of the four characters has a lot of um, internal monologues and there's a lot of sort of like private moments happening, even though it's two couples at a house together, but you know, you find out about an affair and you find then there's a brother and sister who have their own conversations. And so there's a lot of, um, it was really necessary to sort of, isolate actors and isolate couples. So we went through the script together, um, identified all of those moments, um, edited down stage directions, what was really essential to be read and what was sort of not necessary. And, um, and then we got all the actors in a rehearsal where we could sort of look at 
you know, their cameras and their lighting and the, uh, the platform we were using actually used Skype. So we had to sort of like check people's Skype connections and then, you know, everyone got on together and sort of Skype allows you to blur the background behind the subject. So everyone's sort of like, oh, I like that. And sort of that even added sort of a certain feel to it. Um, so at the, at the end of the day, I'm running the actual live stream. I'm running all the cameras. I'm, I'm also like a stage manager and I'm also the sound guy. And I'm the, you know, I, I used to, when I first moved to New York, I worked at this off, off Broadway theater running like the lights and soundboard. So I'm sort of going back to that a little bit too, right. uh, running all the cues. So it, it, that was actually an example of a really uh, good collaboration between myself and Trip, who I didn't know very well before we did it. And what, now that you've done a number of these, what are the are there best practices that you have, you have kind of put together that now you can tell people who want to do one of these what they should be yeah. thinking about? I think so. I, I, the number one thing that I always go back to is audio quality. You really want to connect with people watching. And audio for me is, is very important. I'm actually hard of hearing. So for me, it's been kind of, a blessing to get to work on these and, and to get to hear these words that I love so much, like spoken so clearly to me. And, and I also love, um, I also think it's really important for the actors to really engage with the camera, to really think about, um, I think it's important if you have an actor on the left and an actor on the right, it's important that eye lines sort of meet. I think that you, it's weird. You can actually pull off intimacy in, if you do it right, and if the actors are committed to it and sort of go that extra level, I think where they're reading the script is really where the script is on their camera. I, I'm sorry, where the script is on their computers in right. front of them is really important. The, the, the four actors um, in Lips Together, Teeth Apart, who I will shout out because they're fantastic, Jesse mm -hmm. Tyler Ferguson, Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, and Ari Grainer, they did a beautiful job of like, you couldn't even tell that they were sort of like scrolling through their script as they were doing it. So all those decisions are really important. And in, in, back to audio, when I did um, Buyer and Seller with Michael Urie, yeah. that one was, the audio was really problematic at first because he was doing it in his living room and we locked into this idea really early on to do it with multiple cameras. We ended up doing it with two cameras, two iPhones. And at one point I was even like three or four cameras, you know, we sort of like <laughs> talked, talked it through. And, but the problem with that is that the, because he was moving around his space so much when we had our first like tech rehearsal, the audio, especially, like I said, I'm so sensitive about audio. It was horrible. It was just so echoey and it would have been really hard to, concentrate on the story because the storytelling was so important with him. And so, you know, then I, I said, well, can you wear your AirPods? Is that possible? And then it became like, well, visually, that's really weird. I don't know if I, but, but at the end of the day, it's not, it's sort of like, you don't, you forgive things like that in this new environment. Right. If you're so like connecting to the story and the audio, then who cares if he's wearing AirPods? And, you know, it's not that far off from what his character would be wearing anyway. So, right. um, decisions like that are really important and it's it's hard with some of this technology because you are dealing with internet connections and uh there will be lags sometimes 
and sometimes audio might drop out and these things happen. Um, but you can make the experience as good as possible for the audience. If you really think about what, um, how they will connect with the actors and the story. Right. I'll have more with Paul right after the break. And now here's more with Paul Wontorek. Buyer and seller in particular seem like such a serendipitous kind of match of a piece that's really well suited for uh, for the form it felt like and the performer who you know already knew that piece back and forth and had done it over and over again. How do you, what is the advice that you tell people when they are thinking about work to stream online? Are there certain plays or styles or genres that really you think work in this new form? I mean, I think you're right that that was just sort of perfect. Um, And even when we had our first conversation about it, I said, even if it looks like you're just telling the story to someone over FaceTime, that even works. You know what I mean? Like, it's just because it's, you're just telling the story. Um, And I think we, you do have to sort of think about that. I don't think you want, I, I don't like doing things with that many characters. Um, I'm sort of thinking about what I want to, what other plays I would like to do. Um, comedy, you know, will comedy work for, I think sometimes, obviously there's a lot of comedy in Byron Seller and Michael Urey really sold all that. And you kind of, even when you watch like Saturday Night Live now, you know, or any of the the late night shows without, it's so interesting hearing comedy without laughter. Yeah. Um, I think that sort of still needs to be explored a little bit. I'm not really sure. I think that like really dramatic moments work really well. I also worked on this uh, Beirut reading for MCC theater right. with Marissa Tomei and Oscar Isaac. And I feel like the moments of drama really work great for me. Um, you know, music is tricky because you want music to sound good. I mean, the Rosie O'Donnell special a lot of the music did not sound good. And again, that was really early in this process. And now most people are pre-recording music. So, right. uh, you know, I, I, I've i seen all sorts of um, scenarios. I'm not sure if you could ever really pull off a live musical and really have it work with, with the sound. I don't know. Um, I feel like we're still kind of learning. And obviously a lot of readings are getting set up now. And we're going to see right. a lot more of this happening over the summer. I, I just yeah. think it's I but you're right about buyer and seller. And I do think that it is it sort of really think about what what people are gonna be able to sort of connect to and and what um what works well sort of speaking right to the camera and I don't know. I, yeah. I it, you definitely have to read a script with a different mindset. Mm. Let's talk about the experience of doing it live during the live stream do you get nervous like a performer going on stage (laughs) i am embarrassed how many including last night how many nights i've had nightmares about going (laughs) live it especially since the sondheim event i i have it is terrifying yes it is terrifying um the idea of going live but again like anything it's all about the amount of rehearsal you have, um, getting sort of, your, sort of yourself comfortable with it, uh, trying to 
sort of um, figure out the possible stumbling blocks ahead of time. It's all about preparation at the end of the day. But yeah, last night I had a dream that I was doing like a live Our, our Town. Oh, yeah. But I think it had some songs from Annie in it <laughs> sure. for some reason. That was the uh, that was it. That was the actual dream, and some of it was live, and some of it was recorded. And I was right. really nervous about it. And then I woke up, and I was like, "Oh, good, that's not actually happening today." It's, a- <laughs> uh, it's, it's scary. It's scary. I, I mean, it, it is. It, it's not. Uh, you know what? Especially when people are really wait. A lot of people are waiting for it. Uh, sure. It's, I, it's, I'm still learning. Let's say that. I'm not right. nervous as a on camera. Like when we do live at five for Broadway.com, that does not make me nervous. Right. If I, I'm not nervous going on and talking live as, mm-hmm. as a reporter, that does not make me nervous. But being the person controlling all of the complete live experience from my computer makes me nervous. Yeah. Uh, do you know what happened with the Sondheim and how to stop it from happening again? The Sondheim event was delayed because we didn't have enough time to produce it. That's okay. at the end of the day, that's really what happened. It turned into it was five or five weeks, five or six weeks of planning uh, with Raul Esparza and Mary Mitchell Campbell. Right. And then four days of actually making it. I mean, right. it came together comically fast and the monday before so six days before i actually called raul and i said can we just push this up like what because we hadn't announced it yet i said why are we doing it this sunday if we don't have anything and he said because it's the 50th anniversary of company and i was like right i forgot that was our hook but i was like okay you're right you're right you're right i think the theater nerd in me was like okay you're right that's a great hook Right. But it turned into a week of a lot of stress and a lot of, and then once we announced it, so many actors wanting to get on the bill that were not part of our original, our original list was five or six people. We wanted to just make like a really special hour long with the, um, you know, Mandy Bernadette Patties, the, the sure. Sondheim icons and just sort of like do that. And it just kept steamrolling and, I guess what I learned from it is to uh, say no and to take a little bit more control on deadlines, which I'm, you know, I'm really good at like deadlines with my team at broadway.com. Maybe it's a little of a newer experience for me when I'm directing an event like that with all these different people working on it and a lot of different voices and a lot of materials coming in, but there were songs. One of the um, songs had to be approved by a performer and it wasn't approved until 7.30 that night. And the show was at eight o'clock. I mean, right. that's not a joke. Right. And so the actual like editing and I was responsible for editing it. And at sure. the end of the day at 8 PM, it was not done. And then it went live and I don't know why the microphone didn't work, you know, because again, sometimes we did it. We did a tech rehearsal and the microphone was fine. So some of these things are unpredictable. It's definitely scary when you know, there are a hundred I mean, I found out after the fact there were 100,000 people waiting for us to go live. And for me, it was more like, no, but wait, Stephen Sondheim is waiting and right. Bernadette Peters is waiting and Mandy Patinkin is waiting. Those right. are the people that, that you know, were making me nervous. So it, it, was, it was not my, my uh, favorite night, let's and just say that. That show was a combination of recorded segments, the songs, and then there were bits of live that I guess maybe didn't all end up 
being live in the actual moment. But what? Sorry. Actually, I would love to clear something up about that. People people assume that because Raul Esparza was billed as the host, people assume that he maybe was introducing every song originally, and that was never. All that was all that didn't air was about ninety seconds of Raul Esparza. Right, there was just one introduction that ended up not in the show because of our tech issues. So otherwise, um, it was the show that we intended, and it. So yes, it was primarily pre-recorded because we wanted great audio quality. Is that the music that dictated that? You said that music is hard to get played live. Totally. As a I mean, yeah, we we really wanted to nail the songs, and we really wanted to make everyone look as good as possible. And in retrospect, the whole thing just should have been taped because a lot of these things are taped now. And we wanted to have a little bit of a live element to it. But obviously, in retrospect, I wish the whole thing was taped because I just would have hit play and it would have happened at eight o'clock. So, (laughs) you know, uh, I would have it would have been better for me now but you know you learn you live and learn and luckily everybody liked what we made and so i have i have embraced the messy and it's fine everything's fine now yeah and what are the costs involved in all of this like how much does it cost to produce an evening of zoom theater it's cheap i mean yeah i mean a lot of these um a lot of the software that we're using is like, you know, $20, $30 a month to use. Right. Um, there are a lot of really cheap options. That's why it's not really about the money. Um, you know, we've produced a lot of these things with very little. Right. And it's more about creativity. It's more about how you push the platforms. Right. And, you know, and I, I've seen people using some of the platforms that we use and just not doing it very well. And it's just about sort of being smart and playing around with it and rehearsing what you're doing and getting you really figuring out what kind of graphics you can do and what kind of overlays and how to, you just have to, you have to know how to use them. You don't want to go live without knowing what you're doing, but you also have a lot of, there's a, there are a lot of flexible, there's a lot of flexibility in these uh, applications, but you know, a lot of them were made for like, video conferencing. They were just made for like corporate use, really. And now we're adding this sort of showbiz (laughs) uh, level to it. And so it's interesting, but you can can get a lot done, but you just have to be creative and you have to sort of really figure it out. All these have been fundraisers of some sort, or they've been, you know, a gala for MCC that raises money. Do you, can you envision a world in which one of these is a, kind of money-making venture it is produced as a show that then people buy a ticket to people are experimenting with it the beirut Mm -hmm. reading for mcc theater actually did charge um tickets for five 15 or 25 dollars depending on how quickly you bought the ticket right so you know there people are now starting to experiment with a paid um plan i've even seen some of these cast reunions are now maybe you buy a ticket ahead of time for the charity it's, right. It will be interesting. I, I definitely think that if you are charging, you want to deliver a great experience for people. You want to look like you put effort into it. Uh, you don't want to look like you're just on a Zoom call and charging people for that because people deserve it. And you want to give them a, a great 
uh, experience. So right. I think it could work, but it has to, again, it's going to have to be things people really want to see. You have to kind of deliver a lot of, a lot of people are making content right now. As you know, there are a lot of cameras and microphones out there and you know, a lot of it's great. A lot of it's really fun, but I, a lot of it, I don't know people would necessarily pay for. So we have to sort of deliver what's worthy uh, of people paying for it. And yeah, a lot of it is for charity now, but it will be interesting to see where we are in three or four months. Right. Tell me what you would like to see someone else do or try yourself to do that hasn't been done yet with one of these. I think it'd be really interesting to see writers create pieces that were sort of made for this, for these platforms that work within the confines of what this is right. people in different rooms interacting over cameras. I think that is probably happening. I would love to see some great uh, playwright, you know, hand me a play and be like, wow, isn't this cool? This really would organically work right. within this. Uh, I think that'd be really fun. And I think we might see that. I, and I also think technology will improve because it has to. And now that we're pushing the limits of things, you know, maybe maybe six months from now, we won't be dealing with a lot of the uh, audio and video quality issues that we've become sort of used to. I feel like everyone might sort of ramp it up a little bit and sort of the demand is there. So I feel like the technology will catch up. And do you anticipate continuing to do show to work on shows like this six months from now? We'll see. Yeah. It's interesting to see people are coming to me now with ideas, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to reach out to people in our industry whose work I admire and sort of asking that they have ideas. I'm doing a little bit of that. I don't really know what I'll be doing. I have a few ideas I'm sort of developing. Yeah. I don't have anything concrete to say. I feel like, yeah, six months from now, Look, six months from now, hopefully we're sitting, you know, in the Broadway theaters again. Yeah. And I don't know then if Broadway.com will be spending so much energy to create this sort of special content because this I just jumped into this because it was sort of something to do. I like staying busy. It's been a great distraction from the fact that a lot of our news stories are about cancellations or delays or Right. You know, things that are, that aren't really so positive to write about. Although we, we, we have been sort of checking in with all of the Broadway actors and everyone is sort of getting through this in different ways. And there is a lot of positivity to, to embrace. Uh, but this, these sort of special events have been a really great sort of larger distraction. And the fact that people are reacting to them is, is great. I don't think I really went into it thinking like everybody really wants to see this with Rosie O'Donnell. Sure. I knew everybody wanted to see Rosie O'Donnell, but a lot of these other things have just been kind of like experiments. And I feel like in all my time at broadway.com, we have always sort of been experimenting with technology and we always just try to be forward with our content. And this just fits in. This is what we're doing for right now. So six months from now, I'd rather be at an, a Broadway opening night talking to actors or having people in our studio and doing in-person interviews 
but we'll see. We'll see. I do think that we're all learning a lot right now as an industry. And I do think that it will sort of change what kind of content gets created down the road. Well, here's hoping you and I run into each other at a Broadway opening sometime soon. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Paul Wontorek, the Broadway.com editor-in-chief who's become Lockdown Theater's go-to streaming director. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.